Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Yeah, it's called Conversations with Jeff, not Screaming Matches. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul-searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on mm-hmm. when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though, and so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth, and then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth uh, no matter what the consequences are. Okay, everybody, welcome to today's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, make sure you guys go over to uh, Apple Podcasts, subscribe, leave us a five-star review if you can. really helps with all the algorithms and getting found on uh, Apple Podcasts and all of that. Also, um, if you guys would like to support what we're doing over here at The Gatekeepers, we have a membership program called Plugged In. Uh, if you go to gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in uh, for $10 a month, uh, you can actually get access to a lot of really cool um, you know, uh, resources and that sort of thing, including the recording of the Destroy Social Justice Conference, which included uh, speakers like Pastor Greg Locke, uh, Michael Massey. We had Pastor Ken Peters, uh, Tom Littleton, Mike Spaulding, just a great lineup of people tackling the issue of social justice. Uh, you can also get uh, 30% off of everything in the GK store uh, just by being a member. So definitely check that out, gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in. It's just one way that you guys can help support what we do here at uh, at the GK. So uh, really excited about uh, today's episode. We're um, bringing back Dr. Cal Beisner. Uh, for those of you guys that, uh, that missed it, I had him on last week on my other podcast, Freedom One-on-One, over on the Freedom First Network. Uh, bringing him over, over here on uh, Conversations with Jeff to kind of continue the, the discussion a little bit of what we were talking about, but uh, Dr. Cal, thanks so much for joining us, and glad we can sit down again. Glad to do it, Jeff. Thanks a lot for having me back. Of course, and so so for people that maybe they didn't catch the last time when I had you on last week, um, you you had recently written an article talking about specifically about the modeling that a lot of the scientists are using in regards to climate change and uh, and the sea levels and all that kind of stuff. Can you kind of give us a rundown of, of what you were writing about in that article? Yeah, well, I, it was prompted by the uh, release of a new video early this month, August 4th, apparently, was the first time it went up, uh, <clears throat> called 
the final years of Mahuro. <laughs> you know, you might be tipped off by that sort of a title, the final years of something. There's, there's some sort of uh, fear going on here. And so your first question ought to be probably, so what's Mahuro? <laughs> well, Mahuro is the capital city of the Marshall Islands, which are a territory of the United States in the far western Pacific, South Pacific. And uh, other people might be more familiar with the Marshall Islands either because of their role in World War II, where uh, we fought the Japanese there a good bit, or because later on in the 1950s, we did atomic bomb testing over Eniwetok, one of the Marshall Islands. But the Marshall Islands are a series of coral atolls. These are islands that are uh, that consist of coral and then sand and other sediments that uh, that are built up on them, uh, and then eventually the formation of soil uh, by vegetation that grows on them. So these are coral atolls, and most coral atolls are quite low level, uh, low in elevation. And so they're accustomed to having, you know, large waves coming in and, and uh, a major storm is a fairly common threat to coral atolls. But in this video, The Final Years of Mahuro, the, uh, the producers set forth the idea that because human activity is driving rapid global warming, uh, through the use of fossil fuels like coal, oil, and natural gas, uh, we are we're going to watch sea level rise so rapidly that Mahuro will be submerged pretty soon, and therefore there will be nobody left able to live there unless people want to live underwater. Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead of career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. Uh, so that's kind of the scare that prompted my writing this article. And what I do is I, I subject that scare to a little bit of science. Yeah, well, you know, and, and I think with, it's one of those things that I feel like we keep getting these uh, these apocalyptic end times, you know, things coming from the left and coming from these oh, yeah. these progressive, you know, supposed experts and scientists and that sort of thing. I mean, you know, yeah. I I don't want to say that AOC is an expert by any means, but she keeps saying we've got <laughs> we've got twelve years left uh, if we don't do anything. And it, well, that was now over a year and a half ago. We're so down to ten and a half. Ten and a half now. years. I mean, time is running out, and what have we done to actually turn things around? So, what are they basing? What are they basing these claims on? That I feel like they keep throwing out there. Well, I might be forgiven if I were to say that this this video doesn't base them on anything scientific at all. Uh, kind of the high point in the video 
comes when uh, when uh, they show Marshall Island's poet, uh, Kathy Jetnil Kijner, uh reading aloud a tear-jerking letter that she wrote to her newborn ba- daughter uh, about the imminent disappearance of their beloved islands. And she was reading this in front of delegates to the 2015 UN Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change uh, Climate Summit in Paris. <coughs> and uh, her her reading of this so moved the people there, the uh, delegates to this summit, that it really helped to bring about a major change in international climate policy. The The previous idea had been well, we need somehow or other to limit global warming caused by man to two degrees above pre-industrial revolution, uh, pre-industrial uh, uh, temperatures. Uh, that is temperatures in the before the 19th century or the mid 19th century. Uh, at the Paris summit, they decided no. Instead, we should make 1.5 degrees Celsius. Uh, that comes out to 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit, by the way. Uh, as the limit of global warming that we permit due to human activity. Uh, and so that's that's kind of where where some of this comes. And right after the video shows her reading that letter aloud to the delegates at Paris, it then cuts to her saying this, quote, I think poetry forces people to slow down and connect to the emotion of the issue rather than just facts and data. Now, you know, Jeff, I, I, I used to spend a lot of time at the seashore. I kind of grew up in Huntington Beach, California. And no matter how I felt emotionally, it didn't seem to make any difference whatsoever in terms of the size of the waves the timing of the waves, anything like that. I mean, I could be out there wanting to body surf and I emotionally wanted a really good wave set. And it didn't matter. If they were coming, they were coming. If they weren't coming, they weren't coming. My emotions didn't matter at all. And I I have a feeling that our emotions don't really make any difference about the rapidity of global sea level rise or the rapidity of local sea level rise there in the Marshall Islands. There is a difference, by the way, between global and local sea level. Uh, and our emotions don't make any difference whatsoever about you know, when the Marshall Islands might be submerged by sea level rise. So unfortunately, I think, Jeff, uh, I'm sure you've seen this in a lot of other areas too, we live in a world where, where commitment to reason, to rationality, to objective truths outside ourselves, to shareable truths, seems to be on the wane. And we seem almost to be heading back into the age of mythology and folktale instead of hard scientific uh, rational evidence. So that seems to be uh, what's behind this video anyway. Uh, now, of course, what we do have to do, though, is, is to get at the hard facts, the, the solid data about sea level rise, the solid data about the islands, things like that. So that's what I tried to do with the rest of my article. Yeah. Well, and, and, and it seems like, you know, cause, you know, we have, we have a lot of this, this kind of, uh, issue within Christianity and within the church as well, where it seems like you've got a lot of pastors that are based in their theology and a lot of people that are based in their, their theology on 
how I feel and how God makes me feel and all of that. And so, you know, it's not, you know, assuming of course that it's God that makes you feel. That's a very, that's a very good, very good point. It was your really bad lunch. That's a very good point. And, and, but I think that, I think that the, the thing is, is that for Christians, oftentimes it's really easy for us to look at the world and non-Christians and say, you guys are just basing everything on emotion. You guys aren't root, rooted in fact and stuff. But at, maybe at a certain point, we kind of, kind of need to look at ourselves a little bit too and realize maybe we're doing the same thing that we're seeing this, except yeah. maybe this is more blatant and explicit. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And, you know, the Apostle Paul tells us that we must test all things, hold fast what is good. Well, you know, how do we test things? Well, on the one hand, we can test things uh, to which the Bible, God's word, speaks directly. We can test those things by comparing them with what the Bible says. Isaiah 5 tells us, to the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because they they have no dawn. There is no light in them, is the idea. Uh, they're not truthful. So we can use scripture. But there are plenty of things in this world to which scripture doesn't give us specific answers. Uh, you know, how many acres of boreal forest are there in North America? <laughs> I haven't found anything that answers that in the Bible. Uh, and so the relevant questions here are, how rapidly is sea level rising? Has sea level rise accelerated due to human emissions of carbon dioxide from burning fossil fuels and making concrete and things like that? Uh, causing rapid global warming. Is is that really happening? Uh, what does that have to do with uh, the Marshall Islands? What, How will any of that affect the Marshall Islands? For that kind of thing, we really have to go to empirical observation. We have to go to scientific method. Now, the, we can treat this film as sort of having an, a, a, a hypothesis, right? A hypothesis is a, an educated guess at something. At least we hope it's educated. <laughs> anyway, I'm not sure that this was so well educated, although the film has been seen by hundreds of thousands of people already. It's, it's gone almost viral. Uh, but um, it's, it's got a hypothesis. That is that global warming is driving rapid sea level rise that will submerge the Marshall Islands in a relatively short time. By the way, they never they never tell you exactly how many years to expect this. They don't even tell you how many decades. They don't even say whether it's going to be in this century. It's just that the ominous tone of the whole video makes it clear that they want you to think, oh, this is something that really we should be afraid of. There are people migrating out of the Marshall Islands right now, and surely they must be doing that because they're afraid of sea level rise. Not, by the way, that there are much better economic opp opportunities for them here in the United States than in the Marshall Islands. Uh, we can just kind of ignore that, right? Uh, but their hypothesis is that we're driving this rapid sea level rise and this, the islands will be submerged fairly rapidly. And so what we do in good science is we we compare the predictions based on our hypothesis with actual real-world observations. And if the, pre if the predictions contradict the observations, then the theory, the hypothesis, is wrong. And that's simply all there is to it. That's the essence. That's, that's what the Nobel Prize-winning physicist Richard Feynman called the key to science. So when we do that with regard to the Marshall Islands, we find something quite different from what this was, what this video 
portrays. Right. And, and, and we kind of talked about last time as well, uh, dealing with the actual models. And, and like you were just saying, it's like if, if reality doesn't line up with, uh, with what your hypothesis is, then, exactly. I'll, then you need to adjust the models and they're not. Can you kind of explain yeah. like what's actually happening here? Yeah, well, you know, the, the prediction comes from mathematical models run on computers that integrate the knock-on effects of carbon dioxide emissions. Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead in career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. Stevenson University Online is a leader in forensic education for law enforcement, legal, and cyber investigations. If you are preparing for career advancement or career change, investigate our online master's programs in forensic science, CSI, forensic accounting, forensic investigations, and cybersecurity and digital forensics. New online sessions start every eight weeks. No application fee or GRE required. Visit stevenson.edu slash online. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. On global average temperature and the effect of that on sea level rise. And there are a whole lot of other things as well, but those are the ones that are really most relevant to the topic of whether the Marshall Islands are in imminent danger of getting submerged. Now, it's already widely known that the climate models grossly exaggerate the warming effect of increased atmospheric carbon dioxide. Uh, in fact, and this is kind of ironic, um, <clears throat> the, we, we tend to speak of these models in terms of, of generations, okay? Uh, they are, together they're called the uh, CMIP, the uh, hmm, <laughs> Comparative Model, inter no, uh, Climate Model Intercomparison Project, okay? Uh, pardon me. And uh, the first generation was CMIP-1, second generation CMIP-2, etc. Well, the most recent generation that has been fully exploited was called CMIP-5. On average, those called for roughly, or they, they simulated roughly two times the amount of warming as actually was observed over the relevant period. And the, uh, the you know, you would expect that with another decade's work and hundreds of millions of dollars poured into this, the next generation of computer models, CMIP-6, would get a little closer to the observations. The really strange and ironic thing is actually they're even worse than CMIP-5. <laughs> the more we spend, the more time we, we put into these, 
the farther off they seem to get. And I think that's because there are certain assumptions embedded in the models that the modelers are not willing to remove. And so the farther out we go, the more those assumptions matter. And the most important of all of those assumptions, Jeff, is that nature doesn't drive any climate change on any periods beyond perhaps 30 or 40 years. And so some people will even define climate as average weather over a 30-year period. The problem with that assumption is that we know that it's false. We know. Why? Because throughout ge geologic history, we've seen the, the globe warm and cool and warm and cool repeatedly. We've had ice ages. We've had uh, interglacial periods and so on. Uh, and even on shorter time periods of, of, say, a couple thousand years, we've seen the medieval warm period, which was probably about as warm as today, possibly a little bit warmer. We've seen the Little Ice Age, which was significantly cooler than today. Uh, during the Little Ice Age, the, the River Thames froze every, every winter, and they held uh, Christmas parties out on the river, horses and buggies and all of that stuff on the ice on the river. Well, the River Thames hasn't frozen over since the early 1800s. There have been no ice fairs on the River Thames since the late 1700s. Uh, so we know that nature is capable of, of driving climate change. But the problem is that when you decide to draw, draw into your model the assumption that nature cannot change climate, then when you try to make your model fit past known temperature changes, you have to exaggerate the warming effect of the the uh, the factors, the causes that you do think affect global average temperature. And the primary one that they focus on is carbon dioxide. So because they've they've made that basic assumption, which turns out to be quite mistaken, uh, one of Cornwall Alliance's, uh, I think you mentioned I, I lead the Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation, one of our senior fellows is a very, very famous climate scientist, Dr. Roy Spencer of the University of Alabama, a NASA award-winning scientist. And he, he demonstrated in a series of refereed published articles in major science journals, climate journals, uh, that natural changes in cloud cover, driven primarily by natural changes in ocean currents, especially what's called the Pacific De Decadal Oscillation, are more than enough to explain at least 75% of all the global temperature changes that we've seen over the 20th century. So, in other words, the, the computer climate models that generate the predictions about future global average surface temperature in the atmosphere exaggerate that very badly. And what that means in turn is that you're also going to exaggerate the rate at which the ocean warms. And that in turn means you're going to exaggerate the rate at which sea level rise, which means you're going to exaggerate the risk of submerging low level, you know, low lying coral atolls, you know, uh, you know, the head, the head bones connected to the neck bone, right? And it goes all the way down to the, to the foot bone, right? So, you know that's that's really the problem is that the uh, the models have not been uh, properly fixed, adjusted, and yet 
even that, Jeff, isn't really quite to the point. Uh, because the final years of Mahrua simply says that the Marshall Islands will disappear because of sea level rise if global average temperature rises above 2.7 degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrial levels. And it doesn't say what has to cause that increase in sea level. It doesn't say that it has to be driven by uh, human emissions of CO2, although it does say it is driven by that. Uh, but we would think, okay, well, if sea level rises enough to cover the Marshall Islands, then yes, they'll be submerged, right? So that's the real question is whether that is actually going to happen. Yeah. Well, so, so what, what is it that they're saying would actually cause that? You know, cause, cause, it, cause you got to think it's like, okay, now if there's a major shift in the temperature, let's say over the period of like a year, I could see, I could see that explanation. You know, they're saying, okay, so if, if temperatures rise, the polar ice caps are melting, the sea levels rise, all that kind of stuff. But over a long period of time, is that even realistic? Well, actually, Jeff, it's more realistic over a long period of time than it is over a period of a year. Interesting. Because we could have, for example, we could have, I mean, this is entirely hypothetical, okay? Yeah. Uh, I think it's actually physically impossible. Uh, but suppose we had a 20-degree increase in global average temperature in a single year. Now, that's, you know, a 20 degrees uh, increase in temperature in one locality often happens in a single day. I mean, that's just going from, you know, midnight to noon, right? We do that, but not for the globe as a whole. The global average temperature as a whole is is pretty stable. It's not totally stable. We know that, uh, but it's pretty stable. But suppose we did 20 degrees in one day. What would that do to our polar ice cap? Uh, and And the only one that's relevant to that, by the way, is Antarctica, not the Arctic polar ice cap, because that's all on water. That's on the sea. And when you melt ice that's already floating on water, you don't raise the water level. You know, just think about what happens when you have ice in your glass and it all melts. The water level doesn't change, right? Mm -hmm. Because that ice and the water take up the same space. All right. So actually, the, the, rice, the ice rises a bit above the water because it's uh, less dense than the water. But... Um, so if we had that 20-degree increase in one year or in one day uh, for the Earth, I think there'd be very, very little impact on the polar ice cap in Antarctica because it's so massive that the heat change is much, much slower for that than it is for the atmosphere. You'd have to continue that for a good long time to melt very much of that ice. Uh, in fact, a 20-degree increase down there would still leave almost all of it way below freezing, even in the middle of summer. Right. Uh, and so you wouldn't have much, much melt there. Um, the, the, the really crucial question, Jeff, is what do we actually see from real world observations? Not, you know, what do we speculate, but what do we actually see? And there, uh, Cliff Ollier, uh, Cliff Ollier of the School of Earth and Earth and Environment at the University of Western Australia is one of the world's leading scientists studying sea level rise and particularly the, the uh, implications of sea level rise for low-lying coral atolls, the very subject of this video. And 10 years ago, Ollier uh, published an article called Sea Level in the Southwest Pacific is Stable. 
Now, what did he mean that, by that? We, we have to first carefully distinguish. He doesn't mean that sea level is not rising. There, I mentioned this a little while ago. There's global sea level, and then there's local sea level. And the two are very different, and really local is far more important than global. And here's why. Globally, sea level we could say it's measured by the distance from the surface of the sea to a point at the center of the planet, right? Um, what's really important for where people live and animals and whatnot live is not the distance from the center of the earth to a point at the surface of the sea, but rather how high up the land does the sea go? And that varies from place to place for a number of different reasons. One of those is prevailing winds. There can be as much as three meters difference between the global sea level in the Western Pacific Ocean and the global sea level in the Eastern Pacific Ocean because the prevailing winds pile the water up at the West, right? Um, but... Other things that affect local sea level have to do with land subsidence and land uplift. And so sea level might actually, global sea level might actually fall someplace, but if the land is subsiding, shrinking, you know, going downward faster, you could have the local sea level rise even while the global sea level fell. Or vice versa. If land is rising while sea level is falling, you could have uh, while well, sea level is rising as well, you could have sea level falling if land rises faster. So the crucial question for the coral atolls is, you know, which is happening faster? Is sea level rising faster or are the islands rising or falling faster? And again, you know, we have to go to actual real world observations uh, and what do we find from that real-world observation? Well, a, a major study published two years ago by Virginie, Virginie K.E. Duvat, in, uh, pu published in a major uh, scientific journal called A Global Assessment of Atoll Island Planform Changes Over the Past Decades, uh, says this, and I'm quoting here, over the past decades, Atoll islands exhibited no widespread sign of physical destabilization in the face of sea level rise. A reanalysis of available data, which cover 30 Pacific and Indian Island atolls, including 709 islands, reveals that no atoll, and an atoll, remember, is a, a group of islands, not a single island, no atoll lost land area, and 88% of the islands were either stable or increased in area, while only 11.4% contracted, got smaller, okay? And no island larger than 10 hectares, which is, according to that article, the minimal size for, required for human occupancy. So no island big enough for human occupancy decreased in size. So the actual real, real world observation tells us no, Tuvalu is not shrinking, you know, not sinking into the ocean. 
the the Marshall Islands are not getting overwhelmed by sea level rise. Mahuro, the capital of the Marshall Islands, well, its final years are a long way off. <laughs> we have no reason to think that they are imminent in any way. Yeah, well, and, and so so this is where it, it, you start to come into this idea of I think your worldview. Right, and I think, and I think, right. even dealing with uh, with the scientists that are obviously creating these models, you would think because again, we're trained as people by the mainstream media and the education system and all that, we're supposed to trust the experts, right? And oftentimes, yeah. then they they cite the models. We're supposed to trust them, and and if you critique them, well, it's like they've got the degrees, you don't. So you know, we just have to kind of shut up and go along with it. <laughs> but when we start looking at this, we have to understand too <clears throat> these experts or scientists. They have a worldview. So, what is it about their worldview that they don't see what you're what you're explaining and makes perfect sense? Boy, that's a really great question, Jeff. Um, and it's a puzzler, particularly because historically, modern science has its roots in the biblical worldview. Uh, you can read many different histories of science. You can read many different philosophies of science. And they will tell you that it was the biblical worldview that tells us that a, a rational, infinitely intelligent person designed a rational universe to be understood by rational creatures made in his image. It's that understanding of the world around us rather than something that just came about by chance or that is the, you know, the, the, the battleground of a bunch of different gods fighting with each other or anything like that, right? Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org. It's that worldview that generated the rise of modern science. It doesn't say that no other uh, sources contributed. You know, the, the Greek and, uh, emphasis on rationality, logic, and so on had an important uh, contribution, although there's plenty of logic in the Bible. Um, but uh, really, science as we know it, or as we maybe used to know it, <laughs> Uh, really developed only once 
in history and only in one place, and that was medieval Europe, while it was dominated by this biblical worldview. And most of the earliest scientists were uh, devout, uh, very outspoken Christians, and they did their science as trying to think God's thoughts after him, to understand God's world. And so you would think that that would that that would persevere, that kind of attitude would persevere among scientists. I think, Jeff, that looking over the last, oh, 60 to 100 years or so, as atheism has become increasingly widespread among scientists and naturalistic materialism has gone along with that atheism, naturalistic materialism being the idea that matter and energy is all that is real. Uh, it's just atoms and, and molecules in motion, right? Uh, that naturalistic materialism goes along with that. Both of those really are attacks on rationality. C.S. Lewis, in his wonderful book, Miracles, uh, has a chapter called The Problem of Naturalism. And he points out that, <laughs> ironically, naturalism is the argument that there is no such thing as argument. Now, how does he get there? Well, he says, look, naturalism basically tells us that the entire universe, everything that happens is just matter and energy in motion, just atoms colliding with each other. And he says, when atoms collide with each other, they don't sit down and have a cup of tea and discuss where each one is going to go after that, at what speed and what direction, right? There's just this exchange of energy and off they go and that's it. There is no rationality in that. If there's to be rationality, there must be something other than matter and, matter and energy in our world. And that's mind or what the Bible calls spirit, right? Uh, that's where reasoning takes place. Our minds are not our brains. Uh, our minds are our spirits and Somehow or other, and I don't think any of us understands this exactly, they use our brains as a kind of a, uh, a, uh, what a, a transfer station for thought to control the rest of our bodies, uh, but our minds are not just matter and energy in motion. So as this naturalistic materialism has come to dominate in scientific circles, I think we're seeing more and more irrationalism in the sciences, and it is being prodded along by the irrationalism in some of the humanities, particularly uh, the post postmodernist deconstructionist movement, uh, which basically says there is no inherent meaning in anything, uh, and everything becomes subjectivist. So I think that's part of what's happening, and another part is is that as computer time has grown increasingly inexpensive and the power of computers has grown increasingly great, right? More and more scientists have been trained up using computer models to test their theories instead of testing their theories against the external world. And they've forgotten that the models are not the real world out there. Models are very valuable tools. They can really help us to, you know, to extract one 
out of a bunch of causes, out of a major complicated system and figure out, okay, what happens, uh, you know, what do we think happens in that system if we do that? They allow us to think that way because they can do the whole thing very, very quickly, whereas out in the real world, it takes a long, long time. You might not live long enough to see the result, right? right? But the model is not the real world. And you have to constantly back away and say, okay, I admit my model is not the real world. I have to test it by observation, comparing it with the real world. And if the observation contradicts what my model simulates, then somewhere I made a mistake. And I need to go back to the drawing board and correct that. And unfortunately, particularly in the field of climate science, uh, modelers have not been willing to do that. There's even a fascinating article published in the early 2000s by Mayanna Lassen, a sociologist of science, called Seductive Simulations. Uh, and she had spent years actually living with climate models at the National Center for Atmos Atmospheric Research in Boulder, Colorado, asking basically this question, uh, not doing it explicitly because she didn't want to let them know exactly what she was looking for, right? Do these scientists actually keep in the forefront of their minds the difference between their models and the real world? When they say, if we add so much carbon dioxide to the atmosphere, global average temperature rises such and such an amount and ocean surface temperature responds this way. Do they remember when they say that, when, uh, th that what they really mean is when I program a line that makes the computer think that so much CO2 has been added to the atmosphere. What happens to the computer's prediction about global temperature and ocean temperature, okay? And what she found studying them for years was they don't do that. When she would finally ask them, you know, uh, do, do you mean the real ocean or your modeled ocean? she would get these nervous laughs. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, the, the modeled ocean. But they weren't really thinking that way. And so, unfortunately, we have, we have vain imaginations being substituted for the real creation that God put out there. Yeah, and, 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 I, th and I think it's, it's, really, it's really fascinating, um, you know, as you're explaining, you know, obviously the actual, the science behind a lot of these models and these predictions and what's, what's, what's causing these faulty models. Again, I, I keep coming back to this idea that we still, we still have to remember as believers and as Christians that there is, there is ultimate truth. And I, and I think that yeah. one of those things as well is that if what we believe about God and the Bible is true, which which it is, then science will support what God's word says. And I think, I think to a certain degree, some Christians are like, you know, maybe there's, we shouldn't spend so much time focusing on the science. Let's just focus on the theology. But it's like at the same time, when you look at the science, the science validates our theology. And I think that's a, that's an important distinction to make in all of this too. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, we should also remember that science historically was a much broader word than what we tend to restrict it to nowadays. Nowadays, we tend to restrict science to only dealing with the, uh, with the world observable by our five senses plus 
instruments that can you know uh, can assist those senses to see littler things than we otherwise could see microscopes or more distant things telescopes and, and so on um, but the, the the word science comes from the Latin word skio uh, to know I know uh, skire is is to know um, science is simply knowledge it's what we what we know or at least think we know and so history for example is another field of knowledge and you know it's history that gives us uh, or, or rather that discovers the evidence for example for the resurrection of Jesus Christ and you'll have, for instance, uh, you know, some historians have set out to disprove the resurrection of Christ. And in the process of their examining the evidence, they've decided, oh, I was wrong. Jesus really did rise from the dead. Well, you know, if Jesus rose from the dead, he is who he said he was. Well, he said he was God. Uh, in John 8:58, for instance, he says, before Abraham was, I am. He's claiming the divine name there that God used to Moses back in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses had asked him, hey, when I go to the Jews and tell them God sent me to take you out of Egypt, and they ask me, hey, who was it who sent you? Whom should I say? God says to him, I am that I am. When, you know, when they ask you, you tell them, I am has sent you to, uh, to them. So Jesus claims to be God. Uh, and again, to go back to C.S. Lewis, of course, he has this famous liar, lord, or lunatic dilemma, uh, trilemma, really. Uh, you know, was Jesus lying when he claimed to be God? Well, gee, that's not consistent with anything else we know about his character. Was he a lunatic? Was he utterly insane, you know, on the level of a man who thinks that he's a poached egg? Uh, uh, no, that's not consistent with anything else that we know of his character. Uh, what we know of his character from the only evidence there is, is that he was an eminently truthful, a truthful person and an eminently sane person. Well, then what do we have? What are we left with? He was who he said he was. And he predicted that he would rise from the dead. And he did. You know, I don't know of any other candidates to that. Yeah, well, that, that, that's a very good point, and I, and I think and I think what one of the one, one of the other aspects looking at um, looking at the secular worldview, it seems like again every every so often they're coming out and saying we've got ten ten years left, ten years left, twelve years left, whatever it is, but it, it's almost like there's this paranoia and this fear that the world is going to be utterly destroyed and ended, and 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 to me it's almost it's almost sad. Looking at the world, when 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 you have this worldview that the world could be destroyed tomorrow, and that's the end of humanity, and, and I think that we as Christians we understand like God is in control. He created it. He's got a plan. He's got his own end date. We know X, Y, and Z has to happen before that happens. So as believers, it's almost like we're looking at all this and we're when we're saying, well. Our biblical worldview does not line up with that because we know we have X number of years because this has to happen, this has to happen, this has to happen, looking at eschatology and all of that. That's an interesting angle, but it's hard to be able to throw that into the scientific discussion of, you know, climate change and the utter, destru utter destruction of the world. 
Well, of course it is, because as scientists, we all know that the Bible is, is myth and fairy tale. And we, how do we know that? Because the Bible talks about there being God and spirits and things like that. And what we all know is that there's nothing but matter and energy in all reality. And so therefore, I've given you this argument for how we know this stuff, let alone the fact that my worldview is the argument that there is no such thing as argument because it doesn't leave room for any reason in the world. I mean, this was the, the subject of, of Philip Johnson's marvelous book, Reason in the Balance. You know, he had written uh, previously his book, uh, Darwin on Trial, in which he had subjected a whole lot of different claims of evidence for Darwinism to you know, just legal standards of evidence and had found them horribly wanting. And then he went on, prompted, by the way, by the wonderful philosopher Dallas Willard, a Christian philosopher, under whom I had the tremendous blessing of studying when I was a student at USC. Uh, Dallas Willard prompted him to then go on and write Reason in the Balance, in which he just pointed out naturalism is the death knell of reason. So as soon as the materialist argues that uh, after all, the Bible can't be God's word because there is no God and there is no spirit and all this stuff. Uh, he has just cut himself off at the knees. Yeah, it's 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 really it's really crazy when you start getting into the worldview behind the models and the worldview behind the science and how the science plays out, almost like how how you predicted, depending on depending on your worldview. But again, that makes it dangerous, I think with dealing with uh you know predictions and science and interpretation yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Now, one of the it things does. that I one of the things that I do like about what you do with your organization and all that is you always bring all this back to the gospel and back to faith and all of that as well. So when we're dealing with climate change and you know and again we were talking about a lot of the faulty science, it doesn't line up with scripture, the worldview and all that kind of stuff. How can we as Christians take this discussion about climate change, but then bring it back into the biblical worldview and bring it back towards the gospel. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's a tall order. It really is. And, and you know, it's been a challenge that we at the Cornwall Alliance have had the the fun as well as the hard work of, of trying to meet for, you know, over 15 years now since we began. Um, and we do it in a variety of different ways. Uh, uh, some major papers and whatnot. Our website is lo you know, just loaded with, with articles, cornwallalliance.org. Uh, we have a bookstore there. We have videos and so on. Uh, we have a YouTube channel as well, Cornwall Alliance for the Stewardship of Creation. But uh, you know, how, do we, how do we actually move the climate discussion toward the gospel? Well, I think part of it, I think part of it, Jeff, would be that when we are able to point out the irrational underpinnings of a lot of the fears of dangerous man-made global warming, then people ought to be prompted to say, well, then if, if it's not through this purportedly scientific way of approaching things that I should understand this, what should I be doing? How, sh how should I think about the world? And our first answer needs to be, well, you need to exchange the materialistic, naturalistic worldview for the theistic worldview that recognizes the, the distinction between the creator and the creation and that recognizes that God has made us in his image to think the way he thinks. And then we need to come to grips with the fact that that we don't always live 
and think and speak in ways that do reflect who God is and how he thinks, right? That is, we deviate from what we are made to be. And that deviation causes all kinds of problems between us interpersonally as human beings. It also ruptures the relationship that we have with our creator. But if we want to know the truth, and as Jesus put it, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. If we want to know the truth, we have to be reconciled to that creator. So then we need to find out, we need to be asking, okay, so how do I get reconciled with that creator? How do I get my mind straightened out so that I can think in a way that reflects how he made the world around me? And then, of course, as Christians, we can we can begin to bring in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me, uh, who, who could say, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And he had already said, I am the truth. And he says, when the Son sets you free, then you will be free indeed. So, you know, all of this begins, I think, in, in one of the things that it does is it, it sort of, it blurs the line and ultimately it breaks the line between epistemology, theory of knowledge, truth claims, and ethics or axiology, the theory of morality of what is right. And we begin to realize that since God has made us in his image to think the way he thinks, since he has told us to test all things and hold fast what is good, our deviations from truth are themselves a part of our sinfulness. You know, I've, I've even gone to the point where I've said, yeah, when I get a, an algebra problem wrong, that's sin on my part. It's not the same sort of sin as murder. <laughs> <laughs> by any means, but I really am supposed to think the way God thinks, and God doesn't get algebra problems wrong, right? So I need to I need to repent of that, and in that case, repentance means studying the algebra more carefully. I wish I had done that a lot more back in eighth grade. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but you know, we we need to come to know God better and better. And we do that partly by coming to know all of his creation better and better. And that means we must discipline our intellects. And that's part of sanctification. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. 
Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforumc.org. Right. So we want Christ to set us free from our, our bondage to sin. Uh, we want God's forgiveness for our sin. And then we want him to transform our thinking so that we think the way he intended us to think. Yeah, and, and, and I think... I think it, what, one of the things that's really exposed when we're looking at a lot of these uh, predictions by, you know, essentially the atheistic scientific community is, you know, is this impending doom. And it's it's almost like a, this pessimistic, depressing worldview and mentality. And I think that w- when we can con- contrast that with the hope that we have in Scripture and in truth and in God and all of that— I mean, especially once we see their models are wrong over and over and over again, maybe there is something that can be hopeful or more positive or, you know, with with the right mentality that we can that we can contrast uh, what the world is bringing, you know, essentially to the rest of the world. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, And here, of course, uh, among Christians, we have a variety of different views about end times, a variety of different eschatologies. Uh, I don't happen to know where you are on that issue. I'm, I'm a, uh, well, I have one, one theologian friend who used to just say, I'm a propan igmillennialist. <laughs> uh, that means, uh, I, I'm ignorant. I don't know what's going to happen. Uh, but I know that, uh, that it's all going to pan out in the end because God's in control and I'm all for it. <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, I'm not there. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm sort of a hybrid between an amillennialist and a postmillennialist. I, I, I think that uh, you know we have no idea at this point when Jesus is going to come back. Uh, we know that from the time he came the first time and died and rose again and ascended to heaven and sat at the, sat on the throne to the time he comes again in judgment, we don't know how long that's going to be. It might be you know he might be back by the end of the this program before we even sign off, right? Or he might delay another 10,000 years. We don't know. But what I do believe is this, uh, and this is based in part on, on Jesus' parables about the kingdom, the mustard seed, and, uh, and so on, is that God is growing his kingdom. And he is, he is using his church the redeemed, the community of the redeemed, to make differences in this world. Uh, my own PhD is actually in history. I talk a lot about science because of the work that I do, but uh, I've taught church history. And you cannot, I believe, survey the history of mankind uh, without recognizing the immense benefits that have come to humanity through the growth of Christianity through the ages. And, you know, Christianity began as a tiny, tiny fraction of 1% of the human population. Today, roughly a, a one in three human beings in the, uh, on the earth professes to be a Christian. And, of course, you know, there are nominal Christians for whom there's no real faith there, but it's really clear that a whole lot more than a tiny fraction of 1% are real believers. And we've observed the contributions that they have made to to science, to education, to health care, to all kinds of different things uh, that have improved the lot of humanity over time. And, and, you know, 
amillennialists tend to be pretty pessimistic about the long-term impact of the church in the world. Post-millennialists tend to be fairly optimistic about it. Neither one of them thinks we're going to reach perfection before Christ comes back, right? I kind of lean in the post-mill direction. <laughs> so, I mean, that's that's where I come at this stuff. Well, you know, and, and I think, and I think too, like, it, it's, it's always fascinating, you know, getting into eschatology and then you start getting into, okay, do you have hope? Are you pessimistic? You know, whatever it is. Like, like for me, I oftentimes, uh, so I tend to go back and forth between being pre-trib versus like mid-trib. And, and for uh -huh. me, I always, I always look at, I always look at eschatology from the perspective of, so from my perspective, I think it's going to be one of those two for, for, uh, when the rapture will happen, right? But yeah, for I was me, there about forty-five years ago, yeah, <laughs> that was that was my thinking about forty-five years ago, Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and but one of the interesting things for me is that looking at it, getting into the discussion, because I always grew up being pre-trib, is that uh -huh. I would rather I would rather pre be prepared for a mid-trib rapture and be pleasantly surprised that Christ returns early then be expecting uh -huh. pre and then be disappointed that, uh -huh. oh, crap, now we got three and a half more years. <laughs> so that, that's always well, been my thinking with that. Uh, yeah, and of course, you know, Jesus just simply said to his disciples, in this world, you will have tribulation, Yeah. period. Yeah. So, you know, my, my thinking is, all right, Jesus told me I'm supposed to have tribulation as long as I'm in this world. Uh, everything that isn't tribulation for me, I should take as a wonderful gift from God. <laughs> So I get pleasant surprises very frequently because, frankly, I'm not suffering a great deal of tribulation. Yeah. And I thank the Lord for that. But, you know, no matter what our eschatological view is, whether it's, you know, pre-mill, ah-mill, post-mill, if you're pre-mill, are you historic pre-mill or, or dispensational? If you're dispensational, are you uh, post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib? No matter what your, your eschatological view you know that God is in control and you know that he's had it all planned out forever for all eternity. You know, this is, and, and that can deliver us from all kinds of fears. That's one of the saddest things that I see about the whole climate change alarmist movement is that people are so, so racked with fears. Uh, some, some polls done in countries all around the world uh, tell us that more than half of all kids under the age of, I think it was 18, actually believe that climate change will cause the human race to go extinct in their lifetimes. That's, you know, that's tragic, and they are terrified. And there is no science, no science that backs up those fears. If we know that God is in control, we don't have to have those fears. I mean, that's the same reason why, frankly, I'm not afraid about COVID-19. You know, God knew the date and time and cause of my death before he created the universe. And none of those has been revised since SARS-CoV-2 came on the scene. I just don't have to worry about it because I know the Lord. And so many people, I, I believe, could be delivered from fear if they came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and when you think about it too, the world is, the world is filled with fear, and that it's climate change, 
COVID-19, I mean, it, that's even one of the main things behind, I, you know, I believe everything with uh, Black Lives Matter to politics to almost everything. It seems like when, when you have this worldview that, that is lacking God, you have fear of impending doom. But for those of us that, ha- that have a relationship with Christ, it's like all we have, all we have is hope because it's not in us. We're like, we know that we know for a fact that the human race is not going to cease to exist until the ultimate end of, of the earth. Like to me, that, that is encouraging. Yeah. And you know, even at that point, the human race won't cease to exist. Every one of us will continue. Mm -hmm. Some of us in joyful fellowship with each other and with God for eternity. Others in, in woe, in, in suffering, because they have determined that they don't want God in their lives, that they, they have rejected love and chosen hate. And, you know, that's, you know, the human race is going to continue long after the sun, you know, reaches its end and, and explodes as a supernova. Uh, the human race will continue a long, long time after that. But we have we have assurance in Christ that he gives us eternal life and he gives us that life as abundant life. So, you know, as I, I would just hope that any of your listeners who don't have that assurance will cry out to Jesus Christ and confess to him, Lord Jesus, I know I know that I have done all kinds of things that are wrong. I know that I've sinned. Thank you for dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sins. Forgive me, I pray. And and give me new life. Jesus says, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And that's the message people need to hear. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, um, I, again, I, I second that. Anybody who is watching, if you, if you need to get right with God, you need to get right with God. Turn to him. Absolutely. Uh, if people want more information on what you're writing about, your perspectives on a lot of these you know, issues that we were discussing today, what is the best way for people to do that? Best way is, is to go to cornwallalliance.org cornwallalliance.org. You can subscribe there to our email newsletter, and uh, that will keep you up to date with uh, with all the new articles that we publish and so on. Uh, also, this month, you know, from now to the end of August, we have a special offer um, as our gift, as uh, our way of saying thank you for a donation of literally any size. Doesn't matter how small. Uh, as our gift, as a thank you for a, a donation of any size, we will send a, a really excellent book called Plexit for a Brighter Future. Uh, this is a book about why the United States should withdraw from the UN Framework Convention on Climate Change, which is the, the global body under which uh, the Paris Climate Agreement was negotiated. We're already withdrawing from that. That becomes effective the day after the presidential election in November. Uh, if the incumbent wins, that we will, then we will stay out of it. If if the challenger wins, then he intends to get us back into the Paris Agreement, and I think that's a disastrous agreement. Uh, but at any rate, Plexit uh, for a brighter future. We're offering to send free as our thanks for a donation of any size. All they have to do is 
go to cornwallalliance.org, click on the donate button, make a donation of any size, and then in the comments field, just ask for Clexit. That's C-L-E-X-I-T, kind of modeled after Brexit, UK getting out of the European Union. We want to get out of the climate treaties. Absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, highly recommend everybody uh, go check that out. Uh, again, strongly encourage you guys, you know, if you do make the donation, definitely get, uh, make sure you guys get that copy of that book. Uh, but yeah, Dr. Cal Beisner, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, always enjoy our conversations. I feel like I'm always learn- learning a, a, a ton of new information, but it's always fun to talk to you. Thanks. Well, thanks. Fun to talk with you too. I should mention, by the way, that we also do a weekly uh, live stream on Facebook and YouTube, Tuesdays at seven o'clock uh, PM Eastern time. Uh, so uh, anybody who wants to watch that, just find us on Facebook Cornwall Alliance for the stewardship of creation or our YouTube channel Cornwall Alliance for the stewardship of creation. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'll make sure I get the links, uh, in the description, uh, for the, for the recording and all of that. Uh, but yeah, Dr. Cal, appreciate it. And then, uh, yeah, we'll definitely have you back on again sometime. Great, Jeff. Thanks very much. Of course. Of course. Thank you. And then everybody else as well, uh, make sure you guys go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, leave us a five-star review if you can. It really helps with the algorithms. And then uh, also just a reminder that we are still pre-ordering the book, Church and State, How the Left Used the Church to Conquer America. You guys go to gatekeepersonline.com slash church and state. You guys can actually still pre-order that book. Use the code Jeff at checkout, and you'll get a free copy of our new ebook, Why I'm Pro-Life by Pastor Sam Jones. And uh, But yeah, this book, Church and State, will break down the leftist infiltration into Christianity, uh, dealing with social justice, dealing with uh, the uh, doctrinal errors, uh, and then the strategy that's that's being employed. Authors include Pastor Greg Locke, Dr. Michael Brown, uh, Pastor Kim Peters, uh, Denise McAllister, just a great lineup of people. So definitely check that out, gatekeepersonline.com slash church and state. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys next time. We'll be back for another round of conversations with Jeff on Wednesday with Michael Johns, who's the co-founder of the Tea Party. And we're going to be talking a lot about what's going on over at Liberty University because uh, he does have a lot of experience uh, with working with them and Jerry Fal- Falwell and all of that. So definitely tune in on Wednesday with Michael Johns here on Conversations with Jeff. And we'll see you guys next time. of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC.